0: Special thanks not only to our musicians tonight, but especially our lead musician Danae, who herself is with child and soon to be delivered of child. And so thank you for being here. We are grateful for your leadership. Amen. 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 We were ready with a safety net, but she's she's here, so I'd like to pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you. For this evening, Lord, it is a high honor to read of your birth before this church that I so love, friends and family in Christ, so would you come now and uh, use your word as you have done countless times in this congregation, Lord, we don't uh, assume that. We don't presume upon your presence here. We invite you here, and we pray that you would take your word and do powerful and penetrating things with it this evening. Lord, we come wanting to be filled up so that we have something to pour out this season. So come now and minister your word to us. Jesus, stand forth from this text, we pray, for your glory, for our joy, and for the ingathering, Lord, of all of your sheep, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture reading this evening is drawn from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. Uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And if you were going to use a red Bible in the seats, which you are certainly welcome to do, the red Bibles have the text on page 807. 807. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, they came together. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 4 weeks ago, we began our 2015 Advent preaching series, and tonight we will bring that series to a conclusion. The series has been entitled O Come O Come, Emmanuel, an Advent study of Messianic prophecy in the Old and the New Testament. Uh, to use a, a bad pun now, the only one of the evening, we, we have been keying off of an ancient hymn all season. Uh, the hymn is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which we learned was first published in, in writing anyway in the early 18th century, although it has roots that go back possibly even to the 8th century Uh, It's a monastic antiphonal choral piece uh, that goes back to the monasteries. Uh, This hymn, if you're familiar with it, is known for these somber verses punctuated with this soaring and swelling chorus. And throughout, it is uh, loaded and full to overflowing with biblical prophetic imagery. And the biblical prophetic imagery is all centered upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. So each week during Advent, we've used this hymn as a diving board to do a deep dive into the pages of Holy Scripture and to plunge ourselves into the deeps of biblical prophecy, and we've come up refreshed and invigorated each week with a new name, a new title for our Savior. Actually, an old title, but maybe new to some of us. So we focused on Jesus as the rod and root of Jesse, for Jesus is Israel's promised Messiah. We have... Considered Christ as the key of David because Jesus is the only way to God. We have pondered the truth of Jesus as the dayspring, for Jesus is the light of the world. And then this past Sunday, we reflected on the reality that Jesus truly is the desire of nations, He is the superior. Pleasure to all the earth's treasure. Jesus is the Savior to the ends of the earth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Thank God for that. So you might ask, what's left? Well, apart from the two verses of the hymn that we didn't even touch, just for lack of time, what's left is the namesake. uh, The namesake of this hymn and the namesake of the entire series. And if you know it, you can sing it with me. Oh, come, O oh, come, man, you well, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Until the Son of God appear, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming. Of Jesus Christ Emmanuel God with us at Christmas we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ Emmanuel God with us so this evening scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 1 and the first chapter of Matthew contains an Old Testament prophecy that's drawn from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 you don't need to turn there because it's right there in your text Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Isaiah chapter 7, from which the prophecy of, of this text is drawn, contains the twin elements of biblical prophecy in it, both forthtelling and foretelling. On the one hand, Isaiah, in the original context, was commissioned. By uh, God for a message to his contemporary culture. He in this sense, he was forthtelling, He was heralding, and he was preaching a message to be applied in their everyday lives. On the other hand, Isaiah was entrusted with an oracle, with a, a stewardship of a revelation of God's will that would be hundreds of years uh, in its unfolding hundreds of years beyond his own day. So in this sense he was foretelling, and that is definitely what we have in Isaiah 7:14, which is represented here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Predictive prophecy. That's what this text is, or as we've become fond of saying in this church, prophecy in the sense of history written in advance. There are some clues in the original context of Isaiah 7.14 that encourage us in this direction. Isaiah, for example, unmistakably speaks of a virgin birth, a claim so striking and so unusual no Jewish interpreter knew what to do with it 700 years before Jesus, much less when the Savior himself came, nor to this day. Secondly, and equally as conspicuously odd, is the name that this child would be given, Emmanuel. And Matthew doesn't leave us searching as to what the name Ma- Emmanuel means. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, tells us Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. So Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. There's a whole lot riding, in my view, on that preposition that's tucked in between those two parties, namely God and us. What is with all about? What does that mean? Let's take for granted for the moment the doctrine of God's omnipresence. Omnipresence is the teaching of the Bible that God, as the creator of the universe, is present at every point in this universe with his whole being. That's what omnipresence is, his all everywhereness. Te- this text assumes that. That is incredible, but that's not a miracle. The question this evening is what's the significance of Jesus as Emmanuel? What does that mean? God with us. And in the time that remains this evening, I'd like to offer four practical truths about Jesus as Emmanuel. I believe, are undoubtedly good news. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. What does that mean? First, Christ offers us God's pardon to receive. Jesus is Emmanuel, and that means that when we are in him, God is with us. Christ offers us God's pardon to receive. If any other truth were lost on us tonight, let it not be this one. This one is the key to all the others. Does it surprise you? Does the pardon, the forgiveness, and the mercy and grace of Almighty God startle you? It's supposed to. 25 years ago, John Piper wrote, Man-centered humans are amazed that God should withhold life and joy from his creatures but the god-centered bible is amazed that god should withhold judgment from sinners. Notice that in our reading tonight, Matthew 121 did not say and you shall call his name Jesus for he will condemn his people for their sins, which would be within his right to do. Notice that Matthew 121 most definitely does not say you shall call his name Jesus and he will crush his people for their sins how many of us are alive are really alive tonight to the startling truth that Matthew 121 definitively does not say and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall strike his people for their sins no what does Matthew 121 say Matthew 121 says and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins How often does it occur to you, or to me, that apart from Jesus, the prospect of God with us is most definitely not good news? The mere presence of the Holy King of the universe in proximity to rebels like us is not good news. It's bad news. Unless, of course, the king has come on a mission not to kill but to die. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Jesus is Emmanuel and that means that when we are in him God is with us. Christ offers us God's pardon to receive. Secondly, Christ offers us God's presence to enjoy, not with a T, but with a C. E. <laughs> presence. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus in the miracle of the incarnation. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus give the mandate of the Great Commission. At the tail end of Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Jesus says to his disciples, "And behold, I am." With you always, even to the very end of the age. You ever wonder why Jesus said that? Tacked that right on the end of the Great Commission before Matthew wraps up his gospel? I suppose there are countless reasons why he said it. One reason, I think, is because Jesus is not simply a taskmaster with orders to be endured. But he is a treasure to be enjoyed. Psalm 16, King David wrote of the Messiah who was to come. And though he had not seen him, he loved him. And David wrote in Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So just test yourself. Take this test and fill in the blank. This season for me to live is and fill in the blank. Take the Philippians 121 test right now for me to really live is. What are you living for? JC Ryle once said, Most men hope to go to heaven when they die, but few it may be feared take the trouble to consider whether they would enjoy heaven if they got there. On his deathbed, years after walking with his Savior, my hero John Owen wrote this, If our future blessedness shall consist in being where he is, and beholding of his glory, what better preparation can there be for it than in a constant previous contemplation of that glory in the gospel. Amen. I commend that to you. Prepare for the eternal weight of the glory of heaven in the next life through a constant previous contemplation of that glory in this life, in the gospel. Don't just decide for Christ in this life. Delight in Christ in this life. And you will be well prepared for heaven. Jesus is Emmanuel, and that means that when we are in Him, God is with us. Christ offers us God's presence to enjoy. In His presence is fullness of joy, Scripture says. Third, Christ offers us God's power to obey. Christ offers us God's power to obey one of my favorite truths in the entire New Testament. In Romans 8, verses 31 to 32, the Apostle Paul provides us with yet another angle on what it means for Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us. In Romans 8, 31, he famously asks, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? So you see what Paul's done here. He's exchanged the with... For a for. In the gospel, safe within the walls of the grace of the gospel of Jesus, you can you can do that. When God is with you, Christ, Emmanuel, God is with you, God is with you that way. He is also for you. So like, for you in what sense? Well, in Romans 8.32, we get one sense. And in the broader context of Romans 8.33, 3 to 39 we get another sense we'll start with the, the first way that this is true Romans eight thirty-two. here's what he says he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things you say all things like what like, like a hoverboard like a smart watch What are we talking about? Well, in context, as well as the broader writings of Paul, I have no doubt what Paul is talking about. He's talking about power to obey. Resources. If you've heard it once from this pulpit, you've heard it a hundred times. God's grace in Christ for you is not simply about pardon, not simply about point one. It's about power. It's about point three. Power to live in the strength that God supplies to the glory that Christ deserves. So, what, I mean, what do you really need from God this season? Really. If you have his pardon, if you're in Christ, what else do you need? Trusting that you have the root of faith, what else do you need? You need the fruit of a transformed life. I mean, tonight, when you get together with your family, you need Patience. You need over the days ahead, as you connect with family, friends, neighbors, and so on, you need courage. You need the spirit-empowered ability to speak the truth in love. You need the resources to humble yourself and walk with God in deference. You need wisdom. You need purity. You need growth in Christ-likeness. I mean, how are you going to get that? No one's giving that to you this Christmas. Unless you think that maybe God would give you that. Now let's see. We've got to find out if he's that kind of God. So let's go back to Romans 8.32. Paul argues from the greater to the lesser. He speaks of he who did not spare his own son. That's big. I love you all, but I'm keeping my son. You don't get to have my son. Evidently, I don't love you as much as God loves you. God did not spare his own son. So let's say you ask God for patience this Christmas, for long-suffering, for wisdom or love or whatever, and God looks down on you and smiles and says, well, I slaughtered my son for you. What did you want again? And you say, patience? He says, yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll give you patience. He's serious about us. You see how this works? Romans 8.32 is a blank check. And it's not a blank check for health and wealth, but for holiness, for grace, for power. Grace not just for pardon for your disobedience, which we all need. It is power for your obedience. Just read in 1 John this morning. I wonder where I might fit this in. Here it is. I'm going to read 1 John 2, 1 backwards. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the point of 1 John. You say, well, how could that be possible? Through the power that he supplies. Perfectly? No. No, not perfectly in this life but truly, experientially, incrementally. Maybe the most vivid description of this dynamic in the entire New Testament is Colossians 1.29. Listen to how Paul puts it. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Did you hear it? I've already quoted John Owen tonight, but indulge me. It's it's Christmas. 346 years ago, Owen wrote this. We need to be commanded and to be assisted. The Holy Spirit so works in us that he works by us. Our duty is to apply ourselves to his commands and his work is to enable us to perform them. That's awesome. Jesus is Emmanuel, and that means that when we are in him, God is with us. Christ offers us God's power to obey. One final application. Christ offers us God's protection from the enemy. Christ offers us God's protection from the enemy. As glorious as the truth of Romans 8, 31 and 32 is, what adds a further dimension to the wonder of it is when we link it back up with its original context. Remember, Jesus is Emmanuel. The baby in the manger is God with us. And Paul knows that better than most. And so he wrote in Romans 8, 31 to 39, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised at the right hand of God indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You say, but that doesn't sound like protection from the enemy. Well, hmm. That's where we need to be careful. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? The point of the passage isn't that we won't suffer when we follow Jesus. We will most assuredly suffer when we follow Jesus. The point of the passage is that we won't suffer pointlessly, a moment apart from his pardon, his presence and his power not to mention his purpose in all of our adversity knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us we must suffer how else will this world know that jesus is better than life we must suffer now another way we can come at this issue of protection here in a final application is to ask ourselves this where does my greatest threat lie Where is my most most formidable foe? I mean, truly, what is my biggest problem? If you've been a part of this church for any length of time, you know the answer to this question. My biggest problem is imagining that I am not my biggest problem. The heart of the matter is my heart is the matter. Perhaps you... Remember that classic Pogo cartoon, we have met the enemy, he is us. Now, do we have enemies without? Yes, we do. Alongside our flesh, uh, the world and the devil make an unholy trinity of opposition if there ever was one. That's true. But in Christ, God is with us and he is for us. Lest we forget the truth of 1 John 5.18. 1 John 5.18, final scripture tonight. John says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Now that's a Christmas text. I'll read it again. 1 John five eighteen. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Who does, what does Jesus, what does Emmanuel do for us, according to John? He protects us from the world, from the devil, and from ourselves. Jesus is Emmanuel, and that means that when we are in him, God is with us. Christ offers us God's protection from the enemy especially the enemy within. Well, we need to sum up. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, and that means that when we are in him, God is with us. Take that to mean at least four things. Christ offers us God's pardon to receive. Christ offers us God's presence to enjoy, God's power to obey, and God's protection from the enemy. Of all the gifts that you could receive this Christmas, nothing compares to the gift of Emmanuel. Are you open to him tonight? And I assure you, of of all the gifts that you could give, that you could possibly offer another human being in your family, in your friendships, in your neighborhood, among all of your connections over this holiday, Nothing compares to the gift of Emmanuel. Will you offer him to others? Will you invite others to him? Why not this holiday? A very Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. Let's pray.